hello, and welcome to FSU Conversation, where we highlight FSU School of Communication, its students, alumni, and happenings in the industry. We're your host, McKinnon Bell. And Nani Palacios. I'm a graduate student in Media Communication Studies. And I'm a senior currently working towards a Media Communications degree. And we're both directors ambassadors for the School of Communication. On this episode of FSU Conversation, we are discussing wearing different hats with Dr. Rachel Bailey. Dr. Bailey, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us here today. We really appreciate it, especially with the craziness of the semester. And we just wanted to say thank you on behalf of the podcast team and on behalf of everyone tuning in today. Welcome back, podcast listeners. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Amazing. So with that, to jump into our first question, for our podcast listeners who don't already know you, could you please take a minute to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Rachel Bailey, and I'm an associate professor in the School of Communication, and I also currently direct our doctoral program. So obviously people are on different timelines and, you know, not everyone arrives at this destination and is a professor at FSU because they'd always planned on it or they were raised as a baby knoll. So I, I just wanted to ask how you felt into to teaching. Is this something you always sort of knew you wanted to do? Not always. And I think the expression fall into teaching is actually pretty accurate. Uh, I really started this for the research. So I was, um, I always wanted to be a writer. So I went to journalism school. And while I was in journalism school, I realized that I really liked my psychology classes. And so I started a dual major, started working in a psych lab. And it was a clinical psych lab because I wasn't sure that I didn't want to do clinical work. But as that progressed and I started to deal with more clinical patients, I realized I was going to take that home with me every day and it was starting to hurt my mental health. So I didn't think that that was going to be a career that was going to be good for me. So while I was um, in my journalism classes still, I took a research methods class. And my instructor, Kevin Wise, uh, for any of you who know him, uh, he's, he has a lab at the, or he had a lab then at the University of Missouri and I started working with him and then I sort of never stopped. So I did my, I, I worked for them for a couple years through my undergraduate, then I did my master's with them. And then I, then I went and did some industry stuff and then came back to earn my doctorate at Indiana and this is actually not my first job either. So I was at Washington State, so I'm not a baby knoll either. What made you want to transfer over here? I'm from Missouri, you know, that, that kind of makes sense because I went to University of Missouri, but um, Washington State is a really long way away from that. So it's like a 40 hour drive. And that was a, it was just a lot to be away that far away from my family, but I really did love the Pacific Northwest it was great uh, and I still miss it all the time. Not that Florida isn't good in its own way, it's just different. <laughs> um, but it just seemed that uh, this was gonna be a better job for me. I was going to have a, a better situation, more research resources and you know, that sort of thing. So it was also closer to home. So that made a, 
a big difference. And my husband did his master's in uh, Orlando at um, Central Florida. So he really wanted to come back to Florida. So yeah, lots of things pointed us here. It's always so fun to see how that path in life takes you. I'm finishing um, graduating in the spring. Danny's graduating this December. And I think it's one of those things we're both looking at going, where is our path in life going to take us? And I feel like we really have no idea. So it's always kind of refreshing to hear like, oh, you know, this isn't always what I had dreamed, always what I had hoped. Um, and kind of learning that it really is part of the journey to use the cliche um, and learning how you move along the way and where life takes you. It's kind of scary, but it's helpful hearing other people's stories, I would say. <laughs> yeah, I mean, every decision, yes, it can be a big decision, but sometimes they can be equally good, right? Choice or the choices can be equally good. So just have to choose and hold your breath and jump in and see how it goes. And then you'll go to the next thing. So it's, it's fun. So as long as you keep thinking that it's fun and not scary, then you'll be okay. <laughs> I'm going to have to reframe my thinking definitely then because I'm still in the scary. Makes <laughs> sense. I get it. <laughs> Thank you. So you touched a little bit more about how you got interested in research. And I know we stalked a little bit some of your past publications and your research interest. And we know that you do have a particular interest in researching how media is influential in important social and health contexts, such as health perceptions, food choice, and substance use. And what kind of drew you to wanting to research these topics more, as well as any other topics that have come? While I was um, starting as an undergraduate, I joined onto a project that they were doing, and I wasn't particularly interested but in, in the content of the project, but I learned a lot. and. Then I, I started to think about, well, what do I want to know? And because I'd already been interested in writing, I, I like the idea of storytelling as uh, a way to create emotion in, in people. So that was something I was really interested in. How does, how does that work? What can you do to create different kinds of emotions? And what does that mean? So I was, I was already in that line of work, or at least thinking. Uh, and so I started to think about, you know, like video game research and avatar research and some of these sorts of things. And not to say, absolutely not to say that those things aren't valuable to the greater good of the world, because I think they are. I just felt like I needed a straighter, uh, a more direct line to how is this going to affect something that I think is potentially a, a greater world problem or a societal problem. So. Typically, when I'm you know, interested in a project, there's a theoretical component for sure, but almost always there's some sort of, you know, pro-social kind of benefit behind it because it makes me feel like, you know, my work is actually important potentially, right? At some point, more than three people might read it and it might matter. So that's, it keeps me going, I think. Do you think maybe that pro-social benefit motivator stems a little from your journalism background? I think so, yeah. I mean, I, I was always interested in how journalism sort of played that watchdog of, of government and society and, and that sort of uh, aspect of fourth estate and 
I mean, I think that's a social good as well. So the stories that I ended up writing were in similar veins of you know, pro-social kinds of notions. So it makes sense, absolutely. Awesome. Well, so we already know you fell into teaching. Do you think you maybe fell into this position that you're in of being a director of doctoral studies for the the School of Comm? Uh, Yeah, I would say yeah. Fall into is probably a good word. It's been one of the most rewarding jobs that I have ever had, but also one of the hardest. So there's a lot of... I don't know, I call it uh, emotional energy that I put into it because I'm, uh, I'm, I'm invested in, you know, not just, you know, the day-to-day of the program, but also thinking about the future of each student. What are the things that we can do? What classes can we give them to teach? And, you know, what sort of aspects can I help them with that will get them to the career that they want? And that is different for every single student. Right. And it also changes from time to time as they grow in the program. So, you know, there's a lot of a lot of growing pains. We have a crying couch in my office. <laughs> um, not that it's a bad thing. Tears are good sometimes. So there there are several people who might listen to this who are like, yeah, I've used that. <laughs> so it's uh, yeah, it's it's really rewarding, but it's also there's a lot of challenge to it and. I think because I am stepping down uh, in, in January for, well, until further notice, I suppose, uh, it's something I will want to come back to eventually, but I'm going to get back into my research for a while and uh, let Dr. the wonderful Dr. Ariane Fasho take over for a while. She'll be wonderful, I think, in this position too. Well, obviously you're stepping down, which that's shocking and sad to hear but could you tell us maybe some of the behind the scenes of this role things we wouldn't know that it entails and what sort of your day-to-day looks like too yeah um so i've been in that position for three and a half years now and when i started it was 2020 and middle of the pandemic (laughs) so that was sort of a, a daunting task just to start with, right? How do you approach this in the middle of everyone trying to figure out life? Um, But on top of that part and having all of these students sort of arrive to, I mean, our our international students arrive to Tallahassee, especially, and not know anybody, and then also have to be isolating. It was um, really hard, I think, for them, I'm sure, Uh, having heard about how they felt and um, just trying to create a cohort that actually talked to each other and worked together um, was one of my main first goals. I don't know how successful it was virtually, but I know it's more successful now. Uh, They're definitely much more of a, a group. They rely on each other in a lot of ways, which I am really proud of. I'm glad that they have formed that kind of social support structure that I think they, I think grad students really need in any program. So uh, past that, the sort of social support aspect, the the sort of general things that I do, I take care of all of their paperwork. So anything that they need signed or their forms, I make sure their programs of study meet 
uh, the degree requirements. I recruit new students to the program and try to figure out how we can uh, bring in the best students we can. We interview all of the applicants and there's a long selection process for that. that. That's a big piece of it. I do fundraising, so trying to figure out how we can fund fellowships and travel money and some of these different things for the doc students to have better resources than sort of, you know, annual things like assign them to rooms, offices, and make sure they have mail codes and whatever, right? All of these sorts of little things uh, that, that are tasks but are lost in the minutia. But I think probably the hardest job is that I, that I do is manage all the assistantships. So I assign our doc students who are on, uh, who are being funded by our program to different positions that we have from leading a class entirely on their own to TAing. Um, and we have a certain number of positions every, every semester that doc students take so that they can get enough training to be able to someday get a job like this. So it's, that's the part where, what can I put together for this student that will give them the right combination of experience to be able to get the job that they want? Uh, so those are the sorts of things that keep me up at night. I really appreciate you giving us that further insight and breakdown. And I know you said that you know, trying to be there for all the doctoral students and meet their needs and help them grow and let them use the cry couch can sometimes, you know, be a little more emotionally invested than some other roles may be. But I have to say, and our listeners will back me up on this, a few weeks ago, we had some doctoral students who were part of the planning committee for the first SCOM conference come on, and they all talked glowingly about you. They just adore you so much. Um, So... We definitely know that they appreciate everything you're doing, all the effort you're putting in. Um, some of them tend to be a little bit more possessive of you, it seems like, than others. <laughs> um, which is very funny to see um, them fighting for your attention and your love on the podcast. If anyone, well, they are equally loved. <laughs> I think that's the part that drives them a little bit crazy. Um, but it was just so wonderful kind of getting to hear from their side first when we did that episode a few weeks ago before we knew we were having you on as a guest and that was really my first introduction to you since I hadn't met you and so I was really excited to have this opportunity to sit down with you today and talk to you a little bit more and it's so wonderful getting to hear everything that you do for them so I just want to say thank you for that Um, and I really appreciated that whole breakdown. So you wear a few hats, it seems like, here in the School of Communication because you're the director of the doctoral studies program, but then you also play a role in directing the Interactions and Communications Context Lab. Could you tell us a little bit more about what that is? So that's the lab that I founded when I got here. Um, So I designed it and put it together and, and that sort of thing. So I do a lot of psychophysiological research which means putting sensors on people's body to get an idea of their autonomic situation that then tells us a little bit more about what they're feeling, um, like different kinds of emotions or strength of emotions, uh, or maybe a little bit about what they're thinking uh, in terms of how 
how hard they might be thinking, how much effort they're putting into it. So there's a, there's a lot of work that I do that has that as a component. Uh, it, it's a method, it doesn't you know, drive what I'm asking, but it helps me answer questions at times. And uh, it also, my lab also has um, eye tracking. And so that means I can see where people are looking uh, once I calibrate the machinery. So some of it, we have a screen-based one, which is not invasive, but we also have these goggle things that people can put on and then I can see where you look ever uh, and everywhere in the room. And uh, that can be sort of weird uh, for people, I think. Uh, because you never really know, you have automatic responses to look at things. Um, and and sometimes those things might be embarrassing what you're looking at. So I have funny stories, but I won't share them here. <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to share one. Um, okay. <laughs> this is not something I thought I would share. Okay. Uh, when I was, I worked for a lab, um, that was contracted by Disney. And we were doing a study for ESPN. And I was I was the head of their biometrics group. So at least in the branch that I was at in Austin, Texas. And so I was in charge of making sure that all of the uh, equipment was on them appropriately, that sort of thing, but then also managing the data and the backside. But I was helping uh, one of our research assistants put um, put the goggles on someone. And I don't think that this man knew that we could see where he was looking, but he was totally checking the research assistant out the entire time in the ways that you absolutely imagine. So we all, we're just, we know that this is true or we're standing there seeing it. And it's like really hard <laughs> to not laugh. So yeah, we, we still joke about that. Um, I, I, yeah, I still keep in touch with her, but it, it was a very funny moment. Um, and other things happened similarly, but that one was the, the best one, or at least the most telling, I suppose. I, so, know. I don't yeah. know how you all didn't just crack up laughing. I would not have been able to keep a straight face. We did as soon as we left the room. <laughs> so, we, we managed. It was... It was hard though, yeah, you're right. That's too funny. Thank um, you for sharing that. Um, that's gonna live in my brain now. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> so for um, people like McKinnon that want to get involved <laughs> and want to maybe have a place at the ICC lab, how do you suggest that people go about getting in there? Uh, just email me, talk to me. Um, that That's it. Uh, so we, I, I'm really happy to work with students. Uh, my lab is a training lab. I think of it that way. So uh, I, I'm about to train a new cohort of students in how to collect and, and treat psychophysiological data. So if people are interested, they can do that. I, I had four or five people last, last fall. So I'll, I'll mm -hmm. do um, another however many. Uh, this, this, I guess it'll be spring now. This semester was in, incredibly crazy in terms of everything that was going on with all of our hiring. So I didn't get to the training, but we'll get to it in the spring. So yeah, just email me, talk to me about your ideas. I would be happy to talk to you about what you could do in my lab.
That sounds like such a great opportunity. And I'm sure that people that are interested in that realm would take advantage of it. So it's glad that they know now. Yes. Yeah. Who knows? Maybe I'll email. And now that I'm like, I oh. believe it. <laughs> so that was our last official, official question for you. But here on FSU Conversation, we always like to end up with some fun rapid fire questions, sometimes related to what we've talked about, sometimes just fun things that we were like, oh, this would be fun to ask Dr. Bailey. So they don't have to be super in-depth answers. However you feel they warrant an answer, it's just to help our listeners get to know you a little bit better outside of all the hats you wear in the School of Communication, because I think sometimes we forget that our professors are people too. (laughs) Um, It it, it happens sometimes. Nobody's perfect. So my first question is, what is a Jeopardy category that you could clear with no problem? I've thought about this and I decided that I don't have 100% confidence that I could clear any category with 100% accuracy, but I will give you um, food i study food a lot about food but we'll see what i would not know about jeopardy food and uh i'm also kind of a a harry potter nerd so i could probably tell you most things about harry potter so i would give you those two things probably i love it we could go toe-to-toe on harry potter trivia that'd be a fun day let's do it i'm gonna stop by your office one day and i'm gonna have like a little jeopardy board and I'll have to get like Sunny or someone to come facilitate it, but she would be biased and giving you points. It would be not Sunny. It was probably <laughs> true. There's someone else. <laughs> well, we'll find someone to facilitate the Harry Potter Jeopardy. So we obviously know what the beginning of your professional life looked like. So what is something that you do in your spare time? What's your favorite hobby? Oh, um, I don't even know if I have time for hobbies anymore. <laughs> Uh, I, I have a four-year-old too, and the, the three dachshunds, so that keeps me pretty busy uh, beyond the hats that I wear, but I do, I'm terrible at it, but I have taken up needle felting. Um, if you, I try to make little animals and stuff, it's kind of a geeky thing, but it is something I can sit and do, and it takes my brain out of, out of stuff, so it's kind of a stress relief. I also color sometimes for the same reason, but I wouldn't call it a hobby. It's more like a, I'm doing this because I'm stressed out kind of thing. Okay, but you are so valid in that. I also love doing the felting. I'll make little cats. This is so geeky. The podcast listeners should never know this about me, but now they do. And it's so much fun to sit there and like just go do, 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 and I make my cute little animals. I completely agree. It is therapeutic almost. Uh, so... I don't think it's geeky at all. I think it's personally really cool. Validating our hobbies. Sounds like you and I should get together. We have a lot. Right? How we have have never really met before in the School of Communication. Now you're not ever going to be rid of me. But I I love doing the felting. All right. (laughs) Um, And then our last one is, since you did say you know so much about food, is what is your favorite place to eat in Tallahassee? I'm really bad at favorites. And I also thought about this. So I, I want to go outside the box and say that there's a place in Thomasville that I think might be my favorite place. Um, because it has, it's called AJ Moonspin. If you haven't been, you should go. Uh, and they're not paying me. So it's, they have this 
uh, it's sourdough pizza and it's phenomenal. I haven't had a bad pizza there and I really like this grilled chicken white pizza they have. So whenever I'm feeling indulgent, we, we go and have pizza in Thomasville. So there are plenty of places that are good in Tallahassee too, but if I think about the place that I go when I'm like, I don't care what I eat, this is gonna be good, probably that pizza. Well, thank you so much. I have never been to Thomasville, so I need to do that for starters. And then, Danny, don't look at me like I'm crazy. Don't, <laughs> You've don't been go everywhere. on a Sunday because the shops are all closed, but go, go on a Saturday and you can walk around and all the little shops are open and it's really cute. It's like a nice little downtown you can walk around. My daughter loves the toy store. We can never get past there, but it's, it's a good spot. It's a good spot. I need to check it out. And the sourdough pizza sounds so good. Um, but I've heard such wonderful things about Thomasville and I just have yet to make the short little drive. It's not even that far, but just one of those things I gotta do. Danny seems so disappointed in me. I'm sorry, Danny. <laughs> you just need more time to go through your things. We'll go together. It can be like a little graduation field trip. It'll be so fun. Now you're roped into it with me, so um, it'll be so great. But thank you so much, Dr. Bailey. That is officially all the questions that we have for you today. Is there anything you would like to say to our podcast listeners before we wrap up? Thanks for listening. Um, Come see me if you heard anything you wanted to talk about, or if you like Harry Potter or needle felting or food or any of that stuff. I always want to talk about those things. Um, And yeah, congratulations on graduating. Uh, and yeah, that's, I'm such so... a pleasure to get to talk to you. Amazing. And I'm sure so many people are actually going to come bother you about all those things, including needle felting. Hopefully but... not eye tracking. <laughs> Hopefully not eye tracking. Yeah. I'm well, sure. no, they could do that too, but not for the reasons I, you know, <laughs> well, we don't want unwanted visitors. Let's clarify that. <laughs> But it was such a pleasure to get to have you on, and I'm super glad that we got this opportunity. Yes, thank you so much, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thank you.